Hi, everyone. Welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophiest. Adrian from the team on hosting duty today, and I'm joined by our head of new product development, Andrew Amanovin. Once again, Andrew, hi, welcome back. Adrian, good to be here. Uh, so today we are going to talk about DFR, I take it? Yeah, we are. Design for reliability is today's topic. And I mean, you've spoken about DFR, well, you've spoken about product reliability on a few podcasts, and I'll link to those in the show notes of this episode. But with a particular focus on design for reliability today, I think what we're trying to get at is really to give the listeners a good understanding of why product reliability is so important and how we actually get to that point of having a very reliable product once it's hitting the shelves and selling. You know, what's the process? And I think DFR is something that a lot of importers who are designing and developing a new product to bring to market, that's something that they absolutely need to be including in in the overall project, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, we've discussed before what reliability is and we've kind of went a little bit more in detail, but we haven't in detail talked about what is design for reliability. Design for reliability comes from, I believe it's an ASQ, American Society of Quality Terminology for DFX, Design for Excellence. Maybe Mm. it also comes from ISO requirements, but really design for excellent. One of the components is design for reliability. For example, design for manufacturability, design for testing, design for assembly. And one of the components is design for reliability. And design for reliability has a lot of little, let's say, components to it to itself. In order to actually design a product for reliability, well, let's just let's put it this way. There is the main objective, right? And and the main object, objective is to reduce cost by improving the quality and reliability of the product. That's the main mm-hmm. objective of design for reliability. And I think that is the key that a lot of people forget when they're designing a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the I like that you've mentioned DFX. So it's a number of different approaches that we can take when we are designing a product. And it's kind of like a focus on these different aspects, right? And I suppose when you're designing a new product, you're going to focus on a number of things. It might be designed for reliability, but it could also be for manufacturability and a number of the other points that you've mentioned. So with that focus on the aspect of reliability, I also like that you've just talked about the main objectives of what this is. Right. Do you have any other points about the main objectives? Well, I think if you translate what that main objectives really stand for, you know, reducing costs by Mm. improving quality and reliability. If you translate that, really it means you kind of need to make the whole product reliable. And a whole product consists of what? Consists of parts, consists of design, consists of testing, analysis of the data, a whole bunch of things that you really have to do it right to be able to make the product reliable and, and at the end of the day, save costs. 
Yeah, absolutely. A number of times, actually, we've spoken about the cost of poor reliability, which I'm sure is a phrase that the listeners have heard before, right? And also right. Uh, cost of poor quality, I think, uh, is kind of related to that as well. So right. I, I see where you're going with this. It, it probably makes sense at this point then to talk about unreliable products, right? And this is what we're trying right. to avoid. And I, and so when when we're trying to understand the importance of product reliability, looking at the bad outcomes is probably a good way to understand why it's important, right? So what makes a product unreliable? There are quite a few uh, different items, right? Yeah, there's there's... There are a lot of uh, reasons why a product become unreliable. But, you know, before mm. we get into that, let me uh, mention something that I okay. think a lot of our listeners and readers can actually relate to that. I used to, when I was in college, I used to have a, a Toyota Tercel. It was a really small uh, little car. And honestly, I used to do all the repairs, oil change, and everything myself. And it was a very uncomplicated car. You know, if something broke, all I had to do, look up um, on the user manual what's not working. It would tell me what's probably the problem is. And I'd go to um, automotive shop in U.S. There, there was one called Pep Boys. They were pretty good at, you know, pinpointing you know if you told them what the symptoms were they will they were pretty good at pinpointing what the cause was and they would give me they gave me the right part and i just have to go back with a screwdriver and maybe a plier or something and i would just replace the part and everything was fine and dandy move on and mm-hmm. you know use the car again but in today's you know automotive they have gotten a lot a lot more sophisticated. There are, there are more wires and cable. There are more electronics, uh, especially the ones that are uh, battery operated. They're not like, you know, the old cars where there, there's no pistons, there's no motor, you know, and all the motors are electrical. And, and it really makes it a lot more sophisticated when something goes wrong. And um, uh, in today's world, uh, the more parts you have right the more unreliable uh, a product will be if you got only one part to test uh, then it's it's pretty easy but if you got 100 mm. parts uh, any one of those 100 parts can go wrong and can can create a defect uh, that can really really complicate but let me just say if you had for example unreliable design to start with that could just make the whole thing you know very complicated because if you got unreliable design uh, that is not meeting the design guidelines for that type of product then you could fail for example compliance test uh, you could fail certain um, temperature requirement like for example the product could overheat catch on fire um, or it, it could uh, not perform to the specification that you designed for. And so there, there could be all kinds of issues just because it's just not a very good design. And then the same way, 
if you bought cheap parts, you know, that the kind of parts that were not tested to your particular uh, product requirements. Let's say you're trying to design a, 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 a product that is supposed to last for five years and it's supposed to operate in the hottest part of Earth, like Amazon, with high humidity, high temperature, and then it's supposed to operate in the coldest region of the world, like Alaska, you know, um, minus 40 degrees, zero, you know, um, uh, very, very cold temperatures. Um, mm. And if you accidentally or knowingly you went and bought parts that don't really meet these uh, environmental conditions, uh, reliability, stress requirements, then most likely you're going to have some of these parts actually fail right in these environments. You know, when it gets too hot or when it gets too cold, when it gets too humid or there is too much vibration going on, you're going to fail these components. So component quality and reliability is just as important for overall product reliability as for the whole thing, you know? So I think a lot mm. of times, um, uh, you know, people might, uh, those entrepreneurs that are new in this area, they may kind of discount component reliability and they might say, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just design any kind of a component. It's fine. It'll, it'll work. Yeah, it might work, but it may not work for long. And that's one of the important things that you need to consider. Another thing was the shipping. You mentioned vibration, right? And that right. just reminds me, because recently we spoke and wrote about Easter 2A testing, which is the transportation testing. Um, that, was, that was me and you. Uh, and yep. you spoke about how important it is to test your shipping cartons to be able to handle, you know, common vibration and the different heat changes and things like that. And right. of course, these are going to affect the products and the components inside the products, which might have been fine up until, you know, they got vibrated for three months when they were being delivered across the ocean or whatever, or two months. And then and then they fail. Then you've got unreliable products. So that reminded me of that recent uh, topic that we covered. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. ISTA 2A has a whole series of tests that has to do with package drop, uh, vibration, uh, temperature, humidity, and the whole thing actually helps to determine whether or not your package is durable enough that can contain your product inside a package in all good condition until it reaches its destination. And yeah, as you mentioned, this is extremely important because if you don't have very good packaging, then the vibration could act and, and all the other kind of stresses during the shipping could actually impact the product itself. Uh, maybe the package will break and the humidity will seep into the actual products one by one and, uh, and could cause all kinds of mayhem at the end um, yeah. when they receive when your end user re receives the product but one of the thing other things that i know for sure that really impacts the reliability is reliability testing and not only mm. not only hardware reliability testing but also software reliability 
a lot of people forget uh, that software reliability is just as important as hardware reliability. If you have a product that heavily involved in software use, and all of a sudden somewhere in the middle, you, you end up having loops that causes software uh, to not function and, and, and crash and, and you mm-hmm. have, you, you can't use a product, right? And, and I think that uh, testing in general, whether it's software test, hardware test, in terms of reliability test, or component test even, and even during the assembly, you got final test. This testing, mm-hmm. the entire testing process for no matter what uh, stage of the development it is, need to be uh, done correctly, need to be done uh, decisively, need to be done in a way that actually never going to fail. And, and that's very, very important. And, you know, the other thing that I think a lot of people forget is that, okay, you did your testing, right? And you got a whole bunch of data. Hmm. Well, you got to know how to do Pareto analysis uh, on your data. You need to know, uh, you know, what percentage of your data failed, what percentage passed, what percentage was borderline. And you need to have some kind of an action plan for each one of those areas. Well, what are you going to do with the data that passed? What are you going to do with the ones that are borderline? And what are you going to do with the ones that, that failed? You need to have an action plan for each. And if you don't analyze those correctly and don't implement uh, the proper uh, corrective action for each area, uh, you, you'll, you basically, basically you'll keep getting uh, field failures and you wouldn't know exactly uh, how to fix and how to get out, going to handle on your returns. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of struck by how wide ranging that is, this is. So we're talking everything from component level testing for individual components all the way through to even your shipping cartons and all of this Correct. feeds into product reliability. So yeah, I mean, uh, clearly it's very very important and you're talking about some of the things that we don't want to be forgetting. So that's too you know, to get all that data together and then come up with an action plan, for example. And that kind of leads me into the next question, which is we're talking about, uh, you know, the actual bringing the product to market as well. And that's going to include manufacturing as well, right? So manufacturing also is likely to have an impact on reliability. Absolutely. Uh, Adrian, manufacturing is probably one of the most important key factors on reliability because, you could be actually designing it well and you could be testing, analyzing, and you, you could be doing everything right. And then yeah. you take it to manufacturing and, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, the manufacturing would um, source the components with cheaper components, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't even discuss it with you. Why? Because they want to save some money. Uh, And and then these will be suppliers that either are untested, unqualified, uh, the the specification of these components don't meet um, the testing requirements for or life requirements for your product. There could be all kinds of things happening. Mm -hmm. I've seen it firsthand in companies that I worked where 
supply chain team actually second sourced uh, some components. And the first source was from Japan, for example, met all the qualifications for specifications, met, met all the design requirements, and basically went through the tests and reliability tests and uh, assembly to everything perfectly. But then something happened and uh, uh, the first source couldn't meet all the volumes and they had to go back with equal specification, drop in replacement and, and go with the second source, which was slightly cheaper, but apparently met all the requirements. And guess what mm -hmm. happened? All kinds of mayhem broke, broke, broke loose. Either the supplier quality was no good and didn't meet the design requirements, or the designers, while they were designing for this primary source, ended up making it so tight in tolerance and stack ups. Now you put the new new part in, it doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. And and so all kinds of things can happen uh, when it comes to manufacturing. And I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to manufacturing, that's why the first 30 days is crucial to make sure that, you know, I actually even before 30 days, uh, first 30 days, there is a, most companies, you know, if they got the budget, they usually have what they call actual pre-production run. So that means mm -hmm. they run about three to 500 units in pre high volume production. And this yep. way they get all the kinks, they get all the bugs out of the production. They fix all the issues. They run small samples of the first source and the second source. They uh, tune, tune up their uh, pick and place machines. So yeah, there's a lot goes on in the manufacturing that, that could affect overall reliability that needs to be ironed out. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, are there any others that you can add? Yes, sure. Uh, I think some of the other minor things, but equally important yeah. that I think that our listeners keep in mind, one of them is user manual. It is so unbelievable that you, you – I've seen this in some of the Chinese products – uh, but Chinese products are really improven a lot. But, uh, but some of the old Chinese products, or if you get something cheap, you'll see a user manual say, you know, push the button on the right. But right. because it was translated wrong, and it says the right button is really supposed to mean left button. And then mm. all of a sudden, you keep pushing the right button and nothing is happening. Or, you know, you get in the wrong response and it's not correlating with the user manual. And so that could really turn the customer upside down and make them angry and upset. And, and you'll have all kinds of returns. People will oh, be sure. returning the product saying, I tried it. I followed the instructions. It didn't work. And that's why it, it is very important to create a product that not only comes with a quick start guide, but also Somebody from the, uh, you know, uh, company and engineering development and all manufacturing need to actually follow the user guide and do exactly what it says and see if you get in the same and uh, your reliable results. 
mm. uh, not just somebody who wrote that and, and never tested. And that's that's one of the problems that I see. Right. So that's a number of problems that can cause unreliable products, which is absolutely what we want to avoid. So now that we know what to avoid, I think it naturally leads me on to asking you, okay, fine. How do we actually apply design for reliability then? So what kind of methods can you suggest at this point? Awesome question. I I think this is one of the key, basically, I would call secrets of DFR. You know, you're designing a product and a lot of times you could have uh, good design, good manufacturing, good, you know, good everything, good testing, but your product is still failing because probably two reasons. Uh, either you designed the, the product with components that are experiencing high stresses. And so what are you going to do? You must reduce the stress and then your failures will go down, right? That's one key secret. Uh, and the other one is, okay, well, you're seeing a lot of components fail because your components are weak. So what do you need to do? You need to increase the strength of those components so that they can handle more stress. And that would lower your failure rate. So those are the two important things. And, and there are many techniques uh, in engineering design. One of them is called derating. So for example, let's say you have a high power resistor and um, it's supposed to run at 10 watts. Then what you do is you run it at five watts. That way you are uh, basically you, you have a component that is uh, stronger for mm-hmm. what the need is. And if, for example, you run it at five watts and, and something happens and it's running at six watts, well, no problem because you still got plenty of ways before it reaches 10 watts. And even at 10 watts, there might be some marginal reliability. So that component is not going to fail so soon. All right. But if you mm-hmm. do exactly the opposite, so you have a component that is rated five watts and you're running at four watts, well, you're already running it uh, at max capacity almost. And uh, sooner or later, that component is going to, to fail. So if you can just use these two guidelines, I think you, and, and plus follow uh, the best engineering practices on design and selection of the components, analysis of the data after testing. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and if you have a manufacture, a good quality manufacturing and you're checking your boxes before shipping by ISTA 2A guidelines, uh, and you're making sure that your user manuals are being actually tested to see, uh, you know, one, two, three on the quick start guide exactly gives you the, the ideal results that the users should see. Then I think mm-hmm. you need to have a reliable product. 
Great. Okay. Yeah, th- those are some cool secrets. And that's definitely something to, well, I hope everyone's been taking notes while they've been listening, but <laughs> absolutely. So. Yeah. So once again, I mean, look, uh, yet more reasons to really focus on the reliability of your new product when you're bringing it to market. And I'm sure a lot of the points that you've mentioned, I hope that the listeners already kind of have thought of these, but I'm sure there's been some points in there that are, you know, ringing a bell for people and thinking, oh, actually, yeah, Andrew's got a good point with this. I I mustn't forget that. And uh, Andrew, before we finish, this is something that your team are working on almost every day for different customers of ours, right? So can you just um, tell me a little bit about the process and how we can help? Yeah, uh, I think that's an excellent question. Well, uh, when we get a new design or, or a basically a new project from our our, uh, our clients, we kind of evaluate the design and we look into it from uh, um, all kinds of industry standards on how to design it properly uh, and follow industry standard design guidelines. But more importantly, when it comes to design for reliability, we think of all those uh, industry standards of, you know, what can we do? How, how can we design it well um, so that um, it's going to be manufactured well, uh, it's going to be reliable and so forth. But then we also go through very, how do you say, compressed uh, part and component selection process where we actually go and audit our suppliers we make sure that our suppliers can meet our volume requirements, our quality requirements, our reliability requirements. We see how they build and design and build the components. And we see if those uh, stresses that our product is going to um, uh, experience, these components can experience. And then when it comes to testing, we actually design, um, uh, you know, kind of tests that are going to mimic mimic and or uh, simulate realistic, real-life uh, scenarios that the end user is going to use this product in. You know, and, that, and that's, that's the key because uh, if you're testing it, you know, like an airplane is being tested, that's not going to work mm. for, your, for your product. If your product is a consumer product, then you need to focus on, well, you know, when my... Uh, end user customer actually receives this product you know he opens the box how is he going to experience how is he going to use this product in on a day-to-day basis and so we make sure that we test that product on a worst case conditions in terms of environment and in terms of uh, reliability Uh, and so that we can find those issues now while we're developing and fix those issues and then we'll never see our client will never see those uh, issues uh, in the field. And then, of course, mm-hmm. when we're testing, uh, we'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll do predator analysis of our, our uh, data, on, and then uh, we'll do failure analysis of the data if necessary. Uh, we'll do corrective action implementation on each one of those uh, failures. And then we do another round of testing to make sure that those corrective actions are implemented properly and then the same thing in our manufacturing we have uh, pokeoki in our assembly we have uh, jigs made that make the assembly semi-automated 
in some cases, we have automated process. All of our pick, pick and place machines are all automated as well. Um, and then uh, in the shipping, we always recommend for our clients to uh, run their packages through ISTA 2A uh, testing mm-hmm. so that we get uh, a good confidence level on the reliability of the package and shipping. And then, of course, user manual, we give, if, if the client already has a user manual, we test the user manual and we give them some feedback on what needs to be improved. So, yeah, um, the way we do our processes in Agilient is exactly mm-hmm. through the DFR and the effect process. Excellent. I like all of the best practices you're talking about there. And if anybody listening has any questions or needs any help with product reliability, bearing in mind what you've just said, uh, totally get in touch, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, all you got to do is uh, get in touch with us and uh, let us uh, review your product and uh, give you some feedback. And, you know, maybe that is the that is what you've been looking for. Okay. Uh, Thanks for joining me today, Andrew. Yeah, Adrian. uh, Thanks a lot. And uh, until next time. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back next week as normal. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.